breaks the power of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of gold, the King above all kings, who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder. Amazing grace. This is a faith. Thank you. 
good morning. We are glad you are with us. We are still here. And if you're anything like me, um, there was novelty, there was, we've never done this before, and now we're exhausted, and we're lonely, some are depressed. We want things to return to normal. We are hungering to be together. We're hungering to spread out freely. And um, so it's good to be together. I do hope that during these days and this time, you are finding a new, different, and some parts good. Hopefully you're having maybe a time with your family, a, a time, a private time with Jesus that's different. Um, but we trust that this is still good and that God is doing things even now. We're going to uh, do a new song. We're going to try to maybe make this a little bit of our, um, what, what's it called when we're, we got to stay home? Quarantine. Quarantine, thank you. I I never remember that word. Maybe this is our quarantining theme song, and it's fairly easy to pick up, and we hope to do it in several weeks to follow. I want you to just hear some of the lyrics as they're going to fly by. Don't stop dancing and dreaming. There is still good news worth repeating. So lift up your head and keep singing. Praise the Lord. Joy still comes in the morning, and hope still walks with the hurting. If you're still alive and breathing, praise the Lord. Amen. Here we go. Hold on to your hat. holds your heart, what stirs your soul, what matters comes to mind. The cares you keep, the thoughts you think, it's not all wasted time. Seeking you will find Joy still comes in the morning Hope still walks with the hurting If you're still alive and breathing Praise the Lord Don't stop dancing and dreaming There's still good news Lift your hand and keep singing Oh, 
I'm gonna 
just oh, gives you goosebumps thinking about it. I was reading through Isaiah 43:20 this week, and it says, when you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up, and the flames will not consume you. And that is such a comfort. That verse has been on my heart heavy since 2016 when we lived in Louisiana. We lived through the floods down there. And we literally got to see him walk through those with us. And now we have different kind of floodwaters that are, that are quiet, that are raging around us, but we can't see them. We don't know when they're coming. It's more of a flash flood. So it's really, really comforting to sit on that verse and to know how God just is always there. Nothing surprises him. He can push back the waves when he wants to. And he can let them wash through and cleanse us at the same time. 
very grateful for that. And I'm very grateful for his word. And I hope that you're able to spend more time with him over this last month. Just really dig in and let him root deeper. Let him comfort you in ways that you haven't been comforted before. Let him find you in corners that you didn't know existed. He's really good about dusting out those corners. He's gotten a couple of mine he's gotten into this last week. And uh, sometimes it's a little painful. Sometimes you uproot some things. But man, when he purges it, it's, it's really awesome. So it's good to know that we're never alone with him, that he always is there. That even when it's a painful time, he can hold our hearts, our minds, and us physically in his hands. And that he's completely in control because he absolutely is. None of this is a surprise. And I keep reminding myself, he knew this was coming and that it's going to be over at some point. So my prayer is that we all grow through it. We become closer to him. And that fire, instead of it feeling like it's going to consume us, that fire lights inside of us. And then he uses it with us. You. 
thankful this morning that you promised to never ever leave us you're not going to forsake us you're not going to turn your back on us but you're also not going to prevent or you're not going to take away every hardship every struggle and challenge so father again today we open up our hearts and our hands and our head and our future and our finances, and our family, our jobs. Father, we open them up to you. We let go of the grip of fear and control and power, and we open it up to you again. And we let it go. And we let you be God and not us. So we try again to put you in charge and not us. We thank you that you're good. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God Oh, all my life you have been Oh, 
right where we're at, even when we're weak, especially when we're weak, Lord, you meet us there. I'm so thankful for that, Jesus. I'm thank you for bringing your church together all over the world, even though the building doors are locked. Father, you are moving through your church, and your church is still coming to worship you. We thank you for that. Thank you for that freedom that we can worship you from wherever, because you live inside of us. Thank you so much, Father, for, for walking through this time with us. Thank you for giving us peace, 
for those that, that don't have that peace right now, Jesus, I pray that you will just meet them in a special way this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit will just go over these airwaves and meet people in their homes. And, and Lord, that you will touch their heart, that you'll till the soil of their heart with Pastor Tim's word that you've given him this week. Father, I pray that you will anoint that word this morning. And Lord, we thank you and love you for just loving us the way that you do. We, we do not deserve it, and yet you give it to us so freely. And I'm just so grateful for that, Father. So we honor you this morning. We thank you for a week past Easter and the fact that that grave could not hold you. We love you. We give you this day. We give you this week, Lord, and I just pray that you'll walk it before us. And I ask this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. We want to remind you to... Um, go online if you need to uh, give your offering this week and go to wlcchurch.com and you can give online. You can snail mail it. You can drop it off at the church. God has been so faithful through all of you in providing for other people that have needs during this time to keep the lights on in the building. And we're just so grateful that he, he just shows up through all of you through that offering time. And thank you for taking the time and being faithful yourself. We have a video now, and then Pastor Tim will bring his word. Well, here we are. At home. In our living rooms. With our families. With those we love. Today, wherever you are located, know that you are not alone. You are not alone. We're still connected. Today, we gather as one body. One body. One body. Because the church is not a building. It never has been. It never has been. We gather today as one church. One church. To lift up one name. The name of Jesus. 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 So wherever you are, today is the day the Lord has made. Today is the day to give Him thanks. So let's unite. Let's worship. Let's praise His name. For he is worthy of it today and every day because we are still the church. We are the church. We are the church. We are the church. We are the church. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, a beautiful Sabbath day here in Colorado. Sun is shining bright. Even had a little skiff of snow this morning, but uh, that was gone by the time I drove to church. So I wish I could see you. I imagine you sitting out there, but if you could see the building today, all of the seats have been set up inside the sanctuary, inside the uh, worship center, because we're having someone come in to clean them. But when I walked in this morning and saw all these seats, I thought, my goodness, we must have something Pretty exciting happening here today, and indeed I believe we do. Can I encourage you to get a Bible right there at home today? If there was ever a sermon I'm going to preach when you might want your Bible, it's going to be this one. And you also might want a piece of paper and a pencil, something to just jot down a note occasionally. Because what I want to share with you this morning is, um, well, normally I'm a storyteller. Today, I perhaps will be more of a teacher than a storyteller. And while you're getting your Bible, let me just mention, I, I want to say again how proud I am of our worship team. They do a great job. I wish you were here to hear them in person. 
because they're doing such a wonderful job, and I enjoyed the, the music this morning. I also want to mention to you that following my sermon, the prayer at the end, if you'll hang on, don't turn off, don't turn off your device, there will be an announcement there at the end uh, from the board, just an update, uh, giving you some information on where we are in the process of looking for finding uh, a new pastor for our congregation here. Today, I, I want to start what will probably turn into two weeks perhaps three weeks, three messages, on a topic that most of us pay little attention to. I want to talk to you, teach you this morning, some things about the covenant. And when we get to the end of this series, I'm going to give you some resources that you might want to purchase on your own because I'm indebted to those resources for things I want to share with you today. So at the end, I want to make sure you know where you can find information similar to what I want to share with you through this series. Some of you are thinking, I can't imagine anything more boring than hearing about a covenant. What in the world does that have to do with me? Well, my job is to try and draw, draw you into this process to the point where you do figure out there's something to it that might have an impact upon you. And though you probably won't hear me speak the word Jesus, in this teaching, I want to see if you don't see him walking through everything that we're going to talk about today. As we talk about covenant and walk together through this process and understand and learn what they were doing in Old Testament times, especially when they were making covenant, we will begin to see the role that it has had throughout human history. And I believe it's going to cause dozens if not scores or hundreds of Bible verses to come alive for you and have meaning for you that you've never understood before. You're going to see something new based on the fact that you know something about covenant. The message that I want to share with you today or the teaching today is literally a foundational lesson. It's information we will build upon as we continue through the series. So if you have that Bible now, open it to Genesis chapter 15 and I'll get there in a little bit, so just hold it there. But our understanding of salvation, of holiness, of worship, of healing, of sanctification, of justification, all of those things are based on our understanding of the covenant. Now that word is a word that we still like to use. Some of you have a homeowner's association, and you have covenants there. And you just know that that means there are things you're not supposed to do. But the concept and the idea of covenant is far broader, more inclusive than that. In the Hebrew, it's used over 300 times in the Bible. And it comes from a root word which means to cut. So if you were reading this passage in the original language, many times it would say that people are going to cut covenant. And a covenant was this all-encompassing agreement between two, par two parties, two people. And it's this mutual understanding between two persons who have bound themselves together with specific obligations that they are supposed to fulfill. That's what you hear when you're talking about your homeowner's covenant, your homeowner's association. But what we see in the Old Testament, it's as though God at some point looked at planet earth 
And he saw all of the destruction and all of the destitution and all of the issues, and he observed that those ancient people some 2,000 years before Christ, back in Abram's time, participated in covenant-making ceremonies, covenant-making gatherings. And the idea of covenant was not new to God because He had been making covenants prior to the one that He would make here in Genesis 15. There was a covenant that He made with Adam. There was a covenant that He made with Noah. And there would be other covenants. But most of those covenants were with an individual. So God was reminded of this covenant-making ceremony again. And he had made covenants with individuals before, but now he started looking at the concept of making a covenant with a nation. And as he looked and considered the people of the earth, he remembered that when they committed themselves to each other in covenant, everything that they had belonged to each other. Now by that I mean that they would intentionally release their individual identities in order to have a merged identity. Now, the reason that the concept of covenant is so difficult for us is because we are such individualists. And the concept of somehow giving away some of our individuality or merging our identity with someone else is something that goes against the grain, I think, in the American psyche. So God looked at humanity and He thought about the covenant. And He said, that's how I'm going to reach humanity. Since humans understand covenant making, they're already doing it between one another, I'm going to use this as a tool to help them understand the intensity of my love for them. I will will bind them to myself, and I'll ask them to bind themselves to me, and that will simply mean, listen to this, everything that I have will belong to them. All of the blessings of heaven will be theirs. I'll have a covenant-making ceremony with humanity. So, then, God looked for a person. A person who would represent humanity. And He discovered a man by the name of Abram. And it's important that you remember, at this point in the story, in Genesis 15, his name is Abram. And God started with a simple demand. And that demand to Abram was, leave where you are, leave where you live, and I want you to go to a new site. And I'm going to give you some land, and I'm going to enter into a relationship with you. And Abram thought, well, what kind of relationship? And God said, covenant. But God, When people enter into covenant, that means that everything they have belongs to the other person. Are you saying that you, Almighty God, would enter into a relationship with a mere human like me and that everything you have would be mine? And everything I have would be yours? And God said, that's exactly my intention, Abram. And so the covenant was born. Now, we don't hear much about it today. So when we come up against this subject of covenant, we are at a distinct disadvantage because we do not have the background or the understanding of it the way the people in Abram's time did. 
In fact, we do not have in our culture a covenant-making ceremony with perhaps one exception. And that would be a wedding. A wedding is a covenant-making ceremony in so many ways. In fact, when I do a wedding, when I officiate at a wedding, this is the stuff that I tell the bride and groom because I think it's that important. It's right out of the Old Testament. And we're going to see it as we continue. A wedding is not a contract. Though we go down to the courthouse and we get a piece of paper, we get a certificate, we bring it to the preacher, and after the ceremony is over, we have him sign it and the bride and groom sign it. A wedding is not a contract. It's a covenant. And there's a difference. And some of you, I I can hear you out there thinking, yeah, okay, pastor, big deal. So why would you be so geeked out about a covenant? It's because covenant is the word that describes God's relationship with you and me. So Abram asked God how he could be sure about this land he had been promised, this promised land. And here's what God said, and I'm going to read it for you in a moment here, but here's what he said to to Abram. Get a heifer. I think that's the funniest thing. Get a heifer. But Abram's heart began to pound because he knew when he heard those words that the covenant, the contract, was about to be signed. And the passage where you find this, Genesis chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but... Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. He's talking about Egypt there. 
But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. And you can read that in the Exodus. That's exactly what happened. They came out loaded with gold and silver that the Egyptians gave them to get them to get out of town. Verse 15, You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had followed, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Pieces of what? Those animals that had been cut in half. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Wow. That's an incredible passage of Scripture. And some of you are saying, man, I don't understand all of that. Well, that's why you're here. (laughs) That's why I'm here today. Once a person entered into a covenant, specifically a blood covenant, he or she could not be released from that covenant. There was no escape clause. So God used the idea of covenant because He wanted a vehicle that the people would immediately understand as Abram began to share with them the story. Abram would immediately know what God was talking about when He said covenant. Now that process of making covenant was a little more detailed than what we have in these first 18 verses here. And that's what I want to share with you today. Because a covenant was an agreement between two people going into business, two people sharing a piece of land, whatever it may have been, but they made it publicly. That covenant took place with a field of witnesses gathered around watching them as they would enter into that covenant. Now, I want to share these steps with you that were taken, and I want you to understand that literally every one of these that I want to share with you this morning in some form, God was taking with Abram. And I brought up a whiteboard today. I'm not sure how well you can see it, but I'm going to try it. And if it doesn't work, we'll do something else next week. Because I want to walk you through these particular um, steps that were taken in making covenant because I want you to see how these things begin to fit together. They would begin by the exchange of robes. Okay, we've got two... Let's say two guys, they're out in a field, they have a group of witnesses around them. Sound like a wedding to anyone? group of witnesses around them, they're watching them as they're making these pledges to one another. And the first thing they would do would be exchange their robes. They were, in essence, exchanging their identity. So say Pastor Scott, who's back there in the uh, uh, sound booth today, say he and I were entering into a covenant with one another over a business we were going to go into. We would have people around us watching, and I would take off my jacket and give it to him, and he would take off his jacket and give it to me. My jacket might be a little large on him, and his a little small on me. But here's the thing. The whole idea was the exchange of identities so that if people saw me walking, and you can imagine this with robes in the Middle East there years ago, centuries, decades, millennials ago. You can imagine this. They have those robes and they're colorful. 
And they see a guy walking along in that robe and they're saying, well, I, I think that's Pastor Tim. No. No, it, it looks like his robe, but he doesn't walk like Pastor Tim and he, he's not quite as big around the middle as... I, I believe that's, that's Pastor Scott. The whole idea was the confusion of identities. So God is saying to Abram, I want your identity to be confused with mine. When people see you, I want them to think of me. And when people are aware of me, I want them to be reminded of you. So when we enter into this relationship with God, there's a little more to it. There is this sense of exchanging identities with Him. And then they would exchange belts. Ah, you're writing this down there in your home today? These were large belts. <laughs> and from these large, wide belts, their military gear would hang. And this step represented the sharing of their strengths or their assets. So, if I exchange belts with a covenant partner, say Scott again, my covenant partner is saying, Tim, everything I bring to this relationship is now yours. And everything you have is now mine. Our strengths and our assets are now combined. They are co-mingled. So God is saying to Abram, I'll give you all the strength I've got. I'll give you all the assets that I have. They are yours. You have the picture? Two guys going into covenant over business or land or whatever. And here are witnesses around and they're watching this so that they would be able to say, we were there, we know this is what they declared they would do. The third thing they would do would be exchange their weapons. They would exchange weapons. These were the weapons that hung from that belt they had just exchanged. But when they exchanged weapons, it symbolized that they were exchanging enemies. So my covenant partner would say, Tim, if anybody comes against you, they'll have to get through me first. Because we're partners. And my task is to protect you. And I would repeat that same sentiment back to my covenant partner. That's pretty amazing that God would want to enter into that kind of a relationship with someone like Abram and through him, you, the human race. He is saying that if someone wants to get to you, they have to come through me. God wants that kind of relationship with you. That's what covenant is all about. Your enemies become His. Your strengths become His strengths. Your identity is mingled with His. And then they would move to the fourth step, which was the sacrifice. The sacrifice. That's what we read about. The heifer, the goat, the ram, a dove and a young pigeon. Now, You've got to picture this. And it doesn't fit in our society or our culture at all. But think about this. The cow, the heifer, would be laying on its back, feet sticking straight up in the air. And it would be sliced right down the middle and split open like a clam. 
And the same thing would happen to the goat and the ram. Now the sacrifice is the reason that it's called the blood covenant. Because every time a blood covenant was made, a sacrifice was needed. And I wonder if you're beginning to think in terms of New Testament events. Or if you're beginning to see some New Testament events in the light of Old Testament covenant. A life had to be given. Blood had to be shed. So when God asked Abram to get a heifer, Abram didn't say, a heifer? I want a contract. You got a piece of paper I can sign. What about this land you promised me early on in this conversation? Abram knew that the sacrifice was the contract. In fact, the heifer meant that it was an irrevocable trust. When the animal had been sacrificed and split, the next step was called the walk of death. The walk of death. Here's what happened. The covenant partners would stand at opposite ends of those slain animals. They're facing each other. And they literally began to walk through the blood of that animal. Those animals. And the interesting thing in the Scripture that I read to you is that Abram passes out. <laughs> He's in a trance at this point. And he couldn't do the walk of death. So God literally did that for him. God says, I want to make a covenant with you. And I'll pay the price. And I'll do the work. And I'll take care of all the details. And you'll become my covenant partner. Well, it's been quite an exciting morning for those who are standing in that open field or that park watching all of these things happening. But now they come to step number six, which was the mark on the body. In Abram's time, it was known as the striking of the hands. Now, think back when you were a kid and you were watching those old western movies when the Lone Ranger would become blood brothers with Geronimo. And you remember how they did that. They would slice the wrist and commingle their blood. Well, in Hebrew culture, the hand also includes the wrist. Part of the reason some resources believe that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, it wasn't through the palm of His hand, but through the wrist, still referred to as the hand. When people were making covenants, they would literally do what we watched on those old movies. The covenant partners would make an incision on their wrists and put their wrists together, mingling their blood in what was known as the striking of the hands. Some traditions, I love this stuff, some tradition says that the modern custom of waving our hand in greeting 
originated from the practice of raising a hand in such a way as to reveal that covenant mark that was on the wrist. Look, I'm in covenant with someone. Have you ever noticed that as we worship, sometimes people raise their hand? I know, I'm just wondering if somehow subconsciously that could even go back to the custom of showing the mark on the body to demonstrate I'm in covenant with God. The next time the worship team is here and they're leading you in worship and you feel impressed or lift your hand, lift it high to signify I'm in covenant with God. They say that some even started putting dye in that mark so that it would become a permanent tattoo. That might be what's referred to in Isaiah 49.16 where God says, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Wow. There was another step. I'm probably getting so low on this board you can't see it anymore. I'm going to abbreviate these. It was the blessings and the cursing. I'm not talking about just saying curse words here. It was the pronouncement of blessings and curses. Now, what was occurring was in the presence of the witnesses that were watching these two people make a covenant after the cutting of the heifer and the walk of death and the striking of the hands, they would face each other and use words like these. So long as you keep the terms of this covenant, Blessed will you be when you go out and when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you rise up and when you lie down. Blessed shall be your wife. Blessed shall be your children. Blessed shall be the plow that you put your hands to. Blessed shall be your oxen, your donkeys, your fields, and the produce of your fields. And then after a pause, that partner, covenant partner would continue. But if you violate the terms of the covenant, cursed shall you be. And when he had ended, the other covenant partner would pronounce the same blessings and curses right back to him. And the pronouncement signified that those two people were literally entering into oneness. And then we come to step eight, which is my favorite. Well, for several reasons. It was the covenant meal. Did you realize that there was such a thing? Again, they're in an open field. People are just watching. And there's this great host of witnesses. And the partners, somebody brought out the folding table from the Sunday school department and put it there in the middle. And the partners would sit at that table and they would share food. But they did not begin by feeding themselves. They fed each other the first few bites. And they would say, as you are ingesting this food, you are ingesting me. You are taking me into your life. Now, I have, a, <laughs> I have an issue at wedding receptions when people shove cake into each other's face. The next time you're at a wedding reception and you see that bride and groom feeding each other wedding cake, 
I want you to remember that they are reenacting without them knowing it, without anyone in the room knowing it, they are reenacting a custom that's over 4,000 years old and can easily be traced back to the Old Testament covenant because that new bride and groom are making covenant with one another. When we talk about two becoming one in a wedding ceremony, that practice of feeding each other the first bites is very similar to what was happening in the covenant-making ceremony. Mm. One more today. There are ten, but just one more today. And the final one is the exchange of names. Let's suppose that I'm making a covenant with Pastor Scott again. And we're talking about this business that we're going to go into. Or this piece of land that we're buying together. I would stand with Scott before those witnesses. And I would say something like this. In order for my enemies to know that you're my covenant partner, I will put my name in the middle of your name. And from now on, I will be known as And from now on, you will be known as Scott Stearman Green. Abram because he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And the Testament, the Holy Spirit, is called the Holy Pneuma. Pneuma in Greek literally means the holy puff of breath of God. Now, we see the significance of the letters that, that are synonymous with breath being placed right in the middle of Abram's name as a symbol of the fact that God was his covenant partner and the name of God was part of his name. Abram became Abraham. In fact, the relationship is so meaningful that the author of Second Chronicles, when talking to God about Abraham, said, thy friend, your friend. And God refers to Abraham as my friend in Isaiah 41.8. And James calls him the friend of God in chapter 2, verse 23. Let me see if I can wrap this up with a story. A little guy about 12 years old started going to the church that was just down the block from where he lived. It was not... Uh, an expensive neighborhood. In fact, the houses were very simple and the family that the little boy was part of was uh, not necessarily that wealthy. But he started going to that church on his own. His parents didn't go. And one Sunday he's sitting in there, a little guy sitting about halfway back, and he heard them make the announcement that they were going to have the annual Sunday school picnic that next Saturday. And it perked him up. And he thought, I want to be part of that. I want to go. 
They said there are going to be games, there's going to be a lot of stuff. Everybody, they said, bring a covered dish and come, and we're going to have a great time. And so that next Saturday, the little guy got up, and he went out into the kitchen, and he started looking around to figure what he could take to that picnic that day. And he went to the pantry, and he pulled out a loaf of bread, but there wasn't much bread left in it, a couple of old stale pieces kind of curled up on the edge and a little dry. But he took those out of that bag and he laid them out on the counter. And he got into the refrigerator and he pulled out a jar of mustard. And he opened the lid, screwed the lid off, and that dried mustard fell off onto the cabinet top. And he looked down in there and saw that he was going to have to scrape the sides. He got out the knife and he reached down in there, getting mustard on the back of his knuckles. And he's digging around and he finally got enough out and he spread it on that stale bread. And he went to the refrigerator and he reached into the section where they had kept some bologna and he got out that old blister package with bologna in it and he peeled it back. You know the kind that never seals back good once you've opened it. And he pulled out a slice or two of that bologna and it had dried because the package had been opened and it was curled up around the edge. And he pulled that plastic uh, rim around the edge of that piece of bologna and he put it on that piece of bread and he put the other piece on top of it and he wrapped the stuff up in a paper towel because they didn't have any uh, cellophane or anything else and he put it down in the bottom of a paper bag and he went hopping off to the park where the picnic was going to be as happy as a clam and when he got there the people were beginning to gather in and he sat down at a picnic table and he opened up that bag and pulled out that sandwich and laid it there on that napkin and there was a sense of pride. And then the people who sat with him, the lady that sat across from him, just happened to be the greatest cook in the church. And he sat there and marveled. as she started pulling out stuff out of bags and igloo coolers and all kinds of other things. And here was this platter of pan-fried chicken. And it was set right there in front of him. It was still warm. He could smell it. She reached in and pulled out a big bowl of potato salad, set that out before him. There were other things that she started putting on the table, hot rolls and all kinds of stuff. And then to top it all off, she pulled out this incredible coconut cream pie and set it there right across the table from this little guy. And he's looking at his sandwich. And then this lady does what you hope every church lady would do. She looked across at his little sandwich and she looked at his little face and she said to him, let's just put it all together. Let's just put it all together. And because he was willing to share what he had, he ate far better than if he had kept it all to himself. And that is exactly what happens to us when we enter into convent, uh, to covenant with God. I eat far better. I live far better than if I had tried to keep it all to myself. Heavenly Father, there are so many things about your word that jump out at us from time to time and remind us that we know so little 
And I pray today that somehow through these moments, as I've tried to express things that I've learned, I pray that some people have, have felt a light bulb go on. That something started making sense to them that hadn't before. And I pray that as we continue through this little process of trying to understand what this means, and Father, we're just trying to put you in <laughs> some context that we better understand. Today I pray for your people as they're scattered out across the counties and the states. And I pray that even the rest of this day, we will contemplate or imagine what it would mean for us to simply say to you, I'm a sinner. And those of us who have walked with you for a long time, maybe it's time again for us to say, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. And without your redemption, I don't have a chance. But if I'm willing to give you the little that I have, suddenly I gain everything that you have. Father, bless your people today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Now, don't hang up. There's an announcement coming. Good morning, Woodland Life Center. I hope you guys are having an awesome week. The board just wanted to give a quick update on the lead pastor search. We wanted to first thank you for all the feedback from the surveys. It was so good. Um, we built this awesome profile from your guys' feedback, and now we are reviewing resumes. So. I'm hoping to have more information for you in the next few weeks. It's definitely more difficult now that we're doing just everything over Skype and meetings, but we will get through this and we will just keep our trust in him. But that's what I have for you for now. So thank you so much and have an awesome week. Bye.